Happy New Year, Spectacular fans. We actually recorded this episode of Spectacular Radio a couple months ago. But when we recorded it, Stan Lee was still alive. And we were paying tribute to the recently deceased Steve Ditko. But Stan's death later kind of took the wind out of my sails and I held off on editing this. So, well, I want to wish you all a Happy New Year. We're going to pay tribute to Stan in future episodes, but for now, please give us a listen while we pay tribute to Mr. Steve Ditko. Ladies and gentlemen, the spectacular Spider-Man! Face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Otto Octavius was weak. Call me Dr. Octopus! Tell me there's something better. Go ahead, try. Welcome back, Spectacular listeners. This is the, your, our latest episode of Spectacular Radio discussing the episode Identity Crisis. Joining me are, as usual, the supervising producer and story editor of the series, Mr. Greg Wiseman. Hello. And I'm really happy to announce the return of the supervising producer and supervising director of the series, Vic Cook. I hope I got your, t- your credit right that time. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. Good to be back. I'm, and it's really great to be back. We've been away for a little while. I've had technical is- issues, and a lot has happened since we've last recorded an episode of Spectacular Radio. One of those was the unfortunate passing of Mr. Steve Dicko, the co-creator of Spider-Man, and obviously his work was a major influence on the show itself beyond just being the the co-creator of Spider-Man. Uh, Greg, Vic, would you like to talk about that? Yeah. Um, you know, right off out the gate, one of the things Greg and I wanted to do, and I remember especially Greg was wanted to have this web, the webbing under the arms. We wanted to bring that back. So from the get-go, we were uh, going to honor Steve Ditko in that way. And then as we went along... We just started putting more and more of his touches uh, in the show visually, uh, where we would end the episodes with the spidey webs in the sky. Uh, we would uh, have the half spidey mask over Peter's face, what he'd be thinking about, you know, whatever happened to Spy- uh, the day before as Spider-Man. And even down to the spidey sense, you know, we at first were experimenting with trying to do something kind of fancy or some special effect. And then we just ended up doing the, the Steve Ditko squiggle lines. And uh, so, yeah, his influences are all over the show. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, just where we started, uh, even before that, obviously, was about um, me going back and rereading uh, all the old Lee Ditko Spider-Mans. Uh, the Lee Ramita stuff, too, was really important to me, but uh, in part because that's what I grew up on. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not quite old enough to have been reading Ditko when it came out, but I was reading Ramita. Um, but I'd already read the Ditko stuff long ago, and, and so I, the first thing I did was sit down and reread those, recapture that feeling of what attracted the audience to Spider-Man in the first place, and so much of that was uh, uh, Steve Ditko's work uh, accompanied by uh, 
Dan's words. And, um, and so, you know, it was important to us also that um, we, gave, we made sure that the two of them were acknowledged as creators of Spider-Man in our opening title. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Stan was going to get a credit anyway as executive producer, but we wanted to make sure that Steve uh, and Stan both were credited as the creator of Spider-Man. You know, when you go back and you read about how Steve Ditko got involved in Spider-Man in the first place, I mean, I think we all know uh, Jack Kirby actually took a first crack at it, and Stan just thought it was too heroic, you know, too much too much that traditional classic superhero silhouette and physique. And uh, so we handed it over to Steve. So besides the fantastic costume design and all those touches I mentioned earlier, it was a, a kind of a more thinner Spider-Man, a more of a uh, not the big Arnold Schwarzenegger physique. So when we were doing our show, and it's maybe a little hard to believe now since there's been two shows, at least two shows since in the movies, but at the time there was a lot of pressure on us to make our Spider-Man a big buff He-Man kind of physique, especially from the toy companies because of, of their research. Uh, but we, you know, we thought of our show as the modern update of those Lee Ditko years and 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 for story, he needed to be puny Peter Parker. He couldn't look like the buff guy in his school clothes. So that's another one of his uh, influences that we put onto the show. And it's kind of the way his physique has been represented ever since, at least on screen. Yeah, it makes more sense for him to be built like a gymnast than a uh, bodybuilder. I mean, Venom is built like a bodybuilder, and we're going to get to him shortly. But, I mean, the influences of Dicko's work on the, on the series just ring through the show, even when it comes into, when it dived into more modern characters and modern stories. I mean, you could, Dicko's fingerprints were all over it, and obviously we, cannot, we couldn't speak for Dicko when he was alive or dead, but if he ever stumbled upon it during a, um, while awake and working, I hope he watched at least a few minutes of it and was happy with what he saw. Yeah, we do, too. <laughs> I also understand that very recently you celebrated the 10th anniversary of the series. And without me, because I live on the wrong coast. <laughs> well, you got the invite. We wanted you there. I remember. I was really happy to receive that, too. But, but no, how was that? How was that convention and panel? And um, who, who, was, who else did manage to make it? I'm... Well, it was Greg and I uh, were there. Uh, Greg, why don't you take over and talk about the panel a little bit? Uh... Yeah, I mean, it was fun. It, uh, we showed, uh, Vic brought some clips up, uh, the Quip clip and uh, the long-form uh, music video to the main title and a couple other pieces. So we showed those first just to get everyone in the mood, and then basically it became a Q&A. Um, and uh, we got, uh, you know, it was interesting. At first we didn't get a lot of questions, and then sort of the ice got broken, and then, uh, we So we kept going beyond our hour because there wasn't another panel after us, but at some point we figured we'd better uh, call it to a halt. And uh, But, you know, it's fun. It's, it's a fun show to talk about. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't be here today. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, it was, and, it was really great. Know, we all have such really fun memories of the show. It was really great. SatCon made a um, commemorative poster. They uh, Sean Cheeks. 
provided the artwork, Sean Cheeks Galloway, and the artwork is sort of representative of the decade that's gone by. So we have Peter in the corner holding his mask, and that's a drawing Sean did in 2008. And then the drawing of Spider-Man is uh, based on a classic design he did in the past, but he literally redrew that about a week before the Comic-Con. And so they were handing out those posters to everybody. And uh, from what they were telling me is if people contact them via the website, they'll mail you a poster. Oh, I'm, so, I, I know what I'm doing when, when we're finished recording. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so just go to the website, anyone's listening, and, uh, and uh, they'll, if they have any left, they'll mail you a poster. That's definitely what I'm doing. I'm going to make sure that I get this up soon so that other people have a chance to do that. Uh, it's, <laughs> it sounds like a really good time. And, Greg, i got to ask. You did a Q&A. Did you break and give any Season 3 spoilers? <laughs> Nothing new. I mean, people ask me uh, about Season 3. And, and, you know, early on there were things I was willing to say that at this stage – Knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't have said back in, you know, 2009 or 10. But uh, anything I felt that I'd already revealed, like the fact that we would include Hydro Man and Hobgoblin in Season 3, uh, I was fine re-revealing. Um, it seemed ridiculous to not be willing to give a spoiler when that spoiler exists on the Internet already. Um but I didn't give any new spoilers, um, and and without a doubt, if if the show were ending now, I wouldn't have even given that much. Um, but uh, because I back in those days, I was a little more willing to give uh, spoilers uh, out. I uh, I just repeated the ones that I'd already given. But for some of the people in the audience, it was the first time they'd heard those things. Cool. Well, yeah, I get that. I mean, I've been a fan of yours for up for over 20 years now and um i've been and i've been watching you and ask greg when you get slowly less revealing over time admit it you really regret telling gargoyles fans about queen map don't you <laughs> there are a lot of things i regret revealing about gargoyles uh um but you know back then i i don't think in you know 1998 I really, A, I didn't think, uh, as much as I wanted to come back, I don't think I realistically thought that it could. And then, and more than that, though, I hadn't quite coalesced on this notion of um, ideas versus execution. And, um, and so when you reveal ideas minus their execution, it's, they're really subject to a ton of second guessing that has nothing to do with the way you would have done it in the show. Um, I remember at one point I revealed that uh, Brooklyn's son's name was Nashville and I just got slammed for it. And people, I mean, even now don't know why I chose that name, but there was a reason. And, uh, um, and all their guesses were largely wrong, um, but man, they hated it. And I think that's changed some since, but like it grew on people maybe, or or whatever. But um, you know, it was one of these things where at the time there was this big fan fiction thing. Uh, I forget what it was called, but uh, I know what you're talking like about, yeah. Gar- 
Um, and they had, didn't, when they started, they didn't know the names of Brooklyn's kids, and so they picked their own names for them. And, and all these people were writing me and saying, the names we picked are much better than your names. <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of annoying. No, they <laughs> weren't. No, they weren't. Um, it, well, it doesn't matter if they were or weren't. It's just sort of like, you know, think about who you're talking to when you send that message and and um, and the kind of effect it, it has. Uh, but, you know, it, it just taught me a lesson that I'm sometimes slow to learn, which is that, um, you know, there's not a lot to be gained uh, by revealing stuff like that. And when you now look at the lesson of Young Justice, which did come back uh, after five years, or the lesson of Gargoyles, where we got the Gargoyles comic, you know, a decade or so after the show ended, um, it's like, well, you know, things do come back. And although I'll, I'll admit freely that Spectacular is a show that is very unlikely to come back in any way, shape, or form for legal reasons. Um, still, you never know, and I don't want to subject myself to either spoiling stuff that might come back later or, again, getting hit because I'm revealing an idea without being able to do the execution of the idea. Okay, all right, you, you hear that, everybody? You never know. One day maybe the stars will align and Emily Osborne will finally talk. <laughs> <laughs> now, let, so thank you for that response, Greg. That, and now we can dive into the episode itself, Identity Crisis. And this is there's a lot that goes on in this episode, but I think the boarding and the animation might be the star because the that fight between... Spidey and Venom just goes on for so long, and then it doesn't feel long. I mean, we change environments, rooms, we're all over the place, and it never stops being exciting and fresh. I mean, Vic, this is one of the reasons why I wanted you to come on for this. I mean, I know this is Jennifer Coyle's episode, but... Yeah, Jennifer Coyle did a great job, uh, but a lot of credit we have to also give to Sahin Hersaz, the, the storyboard artist. just want to clarify that statement, that uh, it's Jennifer directed it. Um, when you say what did he say? Episode, he just said it's her episode, but she directed it. Well, I think it. That, that's what he meant. It's her episode that she directed. I know that's what he meant, but I want the audience to know with specificity what that means. Um, that he directed it, Andrew Robinson wrote it. Um, I just wanted to make sure there was clarity there. I'm not taking anything away from her. She did an amazing job. Uh, and we and produced it. <laughs> um Yes, Jennifer did a great job on it, and uh, but I want to make sure a lot of credit is also mentioned about Sahin Ursaz. Uh, he was the guy who storyboarded that section of the episode, and he was actually one of the – I think it was like the first guy who storyboarded on the show, period. He, I brought him in on the promo, and I don't know if you remember the promo we showed at the first Comic-Con. There is a brief bit of a rooftop fight there and uh, the whole promo is i think like a minute long but when he boarded that rooftop fight it it just went on and on and on and uh things were happening that were sort of like never really written in the script like the helicopter taken off and 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 all that sort of thing and uh, so we didn't use it for the promo we didn't get it animated at the time but you know i always liked the board i think we all always liked the board and was always searching for a way to put that into an episode and then Greg and Kevin Hobbs found a way to use it and 
the prologue of episode 13. But that's sort of a hallmark of Sahin's uh, storyboarding. He kind of sees the, 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 the basis of what the script is calling for as far as the fight, and then he just kind of goes to town and has so much fun. And uh, the reason why it doesn't seem long is because, like you mentioned, it's not monotonous. It's not just trading punches. It's sort of like amping the gags up, you know, from the start of Spider-Man webbing a trash can and hitting Venom with it from Venom doing the same thing back, except he's webbing a car. You know what I mean? And, um, and uh, you know, and this is really the big follow-up fight of Venom from episode 13, so it really needed to be bigger and better and, and longer. And, uh, and for Greg and I, we really did feel the effects of this being that long because I, don't, I think I may have mentioned this the last time we were here. We didn't make animatics for these shows. Uh, so our animation timer, Gordon Kent, would time out the show, and we were always long, you know, always long. This one was longer than usual, and they'd stick Greg and I in a, in a conference room, and it was like we were playing poker about what's going to be cut. But I think we both liked this fight so much that we sort of didn't touch it. We kind of cut around it. And uh, and uh, and luckily, uh, Han Ho, the animation studio, came through and executed it really well. So, yeah, we're really proud of that fight scene. I, I yeah, know. you know, some of the, Go on. There, I noticed in the credits that um, uh, Alana Ubach and uh, uh, as Liz Allen and uh, Vanessa Marshall as Mary Jane and uh, uh, Andrew Cascino as Kenny Kong are all credited. And I, you know, I just watched the episode. I couldn't remember a single line that any of them had. So my guess is, is we must have cut. I don't remember now, but we must have cut some dialogue scenes that involved Liz, Mary Jane, and Kenny. I mean, Sally has one line in the whole show, as far as I can tell, maybe two or three. Um, the famous thing, of course, is that Alan Rachin, as opposed to this was, an, you know, an accident of editing, Alan uh, Rachin came in to do Norman Osborne to say the one word, no. Um, yeah. And it was interesting because, you know, we just felt normally we wouldn't have someone come in for that, but we just felt it was so essential to hear Norman say that, that we had to pay him a full fee to say one word. I've never done that before or since. Um, but some of these other people clearly got paid uh, um, who we must have cut entirely, unless I just somehow blanked out last night. When no, I, 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 think it's what, I think it's what you said, Greg. Uh, they were recorded. The scenes were there. I mean, we had to cut, I think, maybe five or five minutes out of the show. I, I may be exaggerating or maybe I'm spot on. It was a long time ago, but it seemed like we were always cutting two to three minutes out of a show, and this one I felt like was like over five minutes long. So I think some of those scenes got cut. There may have been like some lesser exciting maybe action bits and the other parts of it that got cut. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I do remember we were sort of cutting around this one to kind of keep the fight uh, intact. And and um, other than us mentioning what got cut now, like you watch the episode, you don't feel like any story got cut. So we were always very careful about that, that if something got cut, it wasn't something, you know, that was going to uh, make something seem incomplete story-wise. Yeah, I mean, it felt very it felt very complete to me. There's nothing in there that feels like it's missing. 
I mean, if there, I, although I have seen some confusion on the internet when this episode aired and since then, where some people feel the way that Sp- Peter was cleared of being Spider-Man wasn't too clear. I mean, I don't have that particular issue. I mean, I, then again, I watched the show at the time, fr- practically frame by frame, studying and examining everything from episode one onward. So <laughs> I might be biased. Yeah, I don't see why that would be a problem. It seems pretty clearly spelled out. Um, uh, Flash, in essence, you know, tips Ned off to the fact that Peter uh, was wearing that costume on Halloween. And uh, and so they, you know, Ned dug up this footage that showed Peter with his mask off on Halloween with everyone else in costume. And it became clear to everybody who didn't know the truth, like Peter and going to say George Stacy, um, that, oh, well, that's where this came from. You know, someone saw this kid with his mask off and, and, and you know, gave a telephone down the road. Suddenly he is Spider-Man, and isn't that ridiculous? Um, and I think you see by a lot of the reactions that people have, and one of the things that we did, this was part of our – you know, our three episodes um, where uh, every episode had its own sort of framing device. You know, there were the um, there were the flash party video clips in uh, First Steps, and there were the uh, Shakespeare auditions in Growing Pains, and in this one it was Ned's interviews. Um, and you see that most of the reaction to people is just that that's preposterous. Um, and so it's sort of fun to see the differing reactions from different people, whether it's Sally or uh, Flash or um, Aunt May. Um, but then it's also interesting to see the people that it raises a question with, like Norman or uh, the Connors. Oh, their reactions were the most interesting, I thought. I mean, especially... Norman's especially considering the implications of that and what I know from the comics. <laughs> yeah. On the, other, so. on the other hand, I think if he had figured it out right then and there, the last three episodes may have gone differently, so I don't know. <laughs> we'll discuss that more when we get there, but those framing devices were fun. I, I'll admit I, I missed them after this, after this arc. I mean, they were... I liked them in all three of the episodes. I mean... I know some people were a bit contentious towards the Shakespeare ones, but I'm a Shakespeare geek, so I don't care. I went to Shakespeare in the park this summer. That's the type of nerd I am. <laughs> and, um... Let's see. Yeah, I'm fond of Pardon? I'm fond of them, obviously. Obviously, yes. I think one of my favorite scenes in this episode is actually one of my favorite scenes in the... In- entire series. I mean, it sums up just how fall, far Eddie Brock has fallen, and that is when he is begging Peter to help him get the symbiote back. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we were trying to show that Eddie was this pretty lost guy, and had been, and all that had happened to him in his life as a kid and as an adult, and or as a young adult, at least, and and then, you know, this fairly traumatizing relationship with the symbiote, that there's a an intimacy there 
that's very hard to resist. Um, and the other thing, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but I always thought, you know, the reason the symbiote leaves is because of the gene cleanser. But the truth is, is that the gene cleanser has nothing to do with venom um, or the symbiote's powers or anything. I think the symbiote just didn't understand. You know, he had, from Eddie, he had learned that this would strip Spider-Man of his powers, and the symbiote got scared. So left Eddie um, out of fear, um, not because the gene cleanser had any effect on him or Eddie whatsoever. There was nothing to cleanse, um, which to me is really interesting. In other words, it, it it's not as simple as, oh, Peter threw a, a potion down the guy's gullet and that made the symbiote flee. To me, it's about the symbiote was afraid of something it didn't understand and it and it fled for that reason, not because it was Eddie was actually stripped of any powers. The only thing that stripped Eddie of his powers was the symbiote leaving. I had never so gotten became that. A, That's fascinating. Well, I mean, just think about it. I mean, why would a gene cleanser work on an Eddie? You know, you, you understand why it would work on Craven or why it would work yeah. on Lizard, yeah. why it would work on Spidey, but why in the world would it work on Eddie? Eddie was bonding with this other thing. His genes weren't affected. Um, and that was always sort of it, you know, my head canon for it, which was that um, this was just the symbiote not understanding and being afraid and leaving. Well, Pete definitely lucked out there. I heard a, ru- I heard a rumor that you said at a convention once, and I can edit this out if you want me to, that... When this episode takes place, the symbiote is expecting? Uh, Did I say that? I don't know. Um, I heard that you had said that. I don't remember saying that. I might have. Uh, I won't, you know, we showed, uh, what's his name? I'm blanking out right now. Uh, Cletus Cassidy. Carnage's alter ego. What? Cletus Cassidy. Yeah, we showed Cletus, so... You know, obviously, I don't think it's a spoiler to say we have long-term plans to introduce Carnage. Um, so, you know, the notion that the symbiote was expecting is not outrageous. I don't know that I've ever said that, and I'm not confirming it or denying it now. I just uh, don't recall ever saying that. Um, but, you know, obviously down the road, we'd be heading that direction. Right. And this is a question I'm going to fire off to both of you. I've always wanted to, and this is not, this is not a, a request, by the way, I'm just saying I've always wanted to look at the script for this episode because I'll admit, as a writer, as an inspiring writer myself, action sequences have always been my weakness. And so when I look at this episode, I keep thinking I want to read how much in depth the script goes into each of the each into this entire action sequence. How much of that was scripted, and how much of that was the um, storyboard artists and directors just having fun and doing their thing. I'd be interested to hear Greg's point of view on that before I answer. Um, Well, I mean, the scripts that we did for Spider-Man were more detailed than most animation scripts. Um, Back in those days, I was very detailed. 
but I also didn't view them, particularly for action sequences, as being locked in. And there's no doubt whatsoever um, that Sahan took that, uh, particularly that uh, fight at the school, and just went to town with it. I don't have specific memories of like, oh, well, that, yeah, that little piece was in the script, and that little piece wasn't, and, and that kind of thing. I, I'd have to go back and look at the script myself and uh, to find out. But, um, you know, it, it didn't just say, and they fight. You know, it, it wasn't that thin on the script. But on the other hand, it wasn't nearly as rich as what we got. Um, yeah, and, otherwise, uh, this, otherwise the script would have been probably three or four pages longer to describe out uh, all of that stuff. Uh, I think it's somewhere like in between, you know, it's like, you know, where the, where the, where, where there's the dialogue, obviously it's in the script in the beginning of the fight. And then we do have to end up in the lock, the hallway with the lockers for that to happen. And and then at the end, uh, but the board guys would uh, map it out. What the writers would do though, is set it in like an interested, interesting environment. And that would usually, um, uh, give us ideas to expand on it. You know, like for instance, let me just go back to the rooftop fight as as an analogy. That rooftop fight in the promo in episode 13. It was, uh, you know, the helicopter never took off. Uh, it was a fight on the roof, and we decided to put that construction crane on the roof. So that's like not there. Um, so it's sort of like one works off off of the other. But uh, I remember when Kevin Hobbs was going to put what we boarded from the promo in episode 13 it was like it was it was it was like it like it was like expanded the script pages too much you couldn't like describe it that way the way it was boarded um so i think you do it as detailed as you can and uh and i think you do it that way so if you don't have a great board artist that they at least do what's written it's gonna service it but it'll inspire a really great storyboard artist and director to like add on to it, you know, and, and almost treat that section like a board driven show, like how you hear in comedies, you know what I mean? Or like the Marvel method of uh, writing where, where Stan will say, set up a scenario and then Jack would uh, expand it out. So that's kind of like how I think the action sequences uh, play out uh, on this show and really almost every show I've worked on. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. There are a couple moments in that school fight that I just want to point out. One, because I think it's so cool. I'm a sucker for marionette moments. I think they're so creepy. So that <laughs> point where Eddie, in essence, is knocked out, but the symbiote's not. So the symbiote sort of pulls Venom up like he's a marionette and is moving him like a marionette until Eddie regains consciousness a minute or so later. Um, yeah, and uh, love that. Uh, and then you know, the that, other that, thing that, I want to point out, for the opposite reason, is there's that scene where Spider-Man is falling down this the well of the staircase, <laughs> and that staircase goes on, and it's like, how tall is this building? <laughs> yeah, take a little take a little license there. The other, the other thing about you know I don't want to make this all about. Sahin, but the thing that impressed me on all the episodes that he boarded is he would take the time to sort of build the environments out in SketchUp. 
So he would kind of have it in a real rough 3D form. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, like he did the uh, act three of the first episode with Vulture and the enforcers and all that, if you remember that. And it, in the backdrop of the city. So it's like it gives it that real dimensional feel with a real lot of spatial feel to it. And that was unusual back then. I mean, on Young Justice uh, season three, we do have a sketch of all, I, I say we, not me, because I can't find <laughs> it. Um, it's Greg. He's the, in there in the SketchUp building the background. But the production uses SketchUp all the time uh, for BGs. Uh, yeah. And it's actually the, within, and it's the back. And it's, and, yeah. Within it's the, the boarding. But back then it was unusual. It was unusual. Well, here's the thing. What, what you're talking about is the background artists build the backgrounds in SketchUp. And it's given no, to I'm the not. board artists. Saying, yeah, no, and they give it to the board artists. And yeah. they give it to the board artists. But what Sahin did was he looked at the drawings of our backgrounds and he built the SketchUp for the backgrounds. And really that, I don't know of any board guy who does that then or today. It's usually given to them by the background artists. So he kind of went above and you know and beyond on that show back then. On this show back then. I think everybody did. Yeah. yeah, everybody did. Oh, my God. Yeah, everybody did. Definitely. I mean, there's a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of little moments here, which I would also attribute to the boarding just as much as the script, such as that scene with Peter and Gwen's near kiss. And yeah, and that very festive modern sculpture <laughs> yeah and that was something i think jennifer actually thumbed out and boarded uh, herself yeah i think so yep and even a lot of the background characters in this one they seem interesting almost like i want to know what their stories was this one f- photographer or reporter the really <laughs> scumbag looking one you know which one i'm talking about <laughs> i i yeah I, you know i'm Greg may have a sharper memory about that. I can't remember. But the thing is, as far as the background characters, like Sean Galloway basically designed the front view of, like, everybody, of everybody. And uh, so, uh, and, you know, one thing that to me stands out as a hallmark of Sean is, like, it's like the no faces ever look alike. Sometimes in superhero shows, sometimes the only way you can tell the difference from one square job superhero guy to the other is the color of the hair. But in Sean's, it's like everybody looks different. So I think that is hats off to Greg, uh, I mean to Sean, um, for making them so unique. Um, there are other background characters, though, Greg, I remember uh, just we decided to give them little uh, story arcs. Can't, can't remember if they were in this episode, though. No, not in this one, but we've talked about them before. There's the couple that you know, the geeky guy and the really hot girl who Spider-Man webs up to save their lives uh, early on. And and then in season one and then season two, uh, it's coming up. But, you know, he, you know, uh, we find out that they've become a couple. He, he They get engaged. And uh, if we'd gone forward, and again, this is a spoiler I've revealed already, so I don't <laughs> mind doing it, would have shown, you know, done some episode, I don't even know what, but some episode in uh, uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral yeah. in New York, what, some sequence, action sequence happening there 
while those two are trying to get married. And if we had had a season four, we would have shown that she was pregnant. And in season five, we would have given her a baby. So, I mean, it, it was one of these things that it just, and those two don't have names. It's just a couple of things thing going on in the background was that the yeah. idea is that New York exists and that, you know, there are, what, what's the line, you know, there are a thousand stories in the naked city kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and, and theirs was one of them and we would just get little touches of it throughout yeah. the. Hey, Brendan and Marco with a healthier relationship. Uh, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> But no, but yeah, I mean, but that photographer guy. I remember when that episode first aired, and I, and I'm pretty sure this is not true now. But people at the time, because he had made such an impression, people were speculating that he was Mac Gargan. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> but no, that's, I think it's a. T- no, Gargan was a PI, not a reporter. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, but I just, I'm just saying that people were speculating, and I think it's a testament to the strength of Sean's character designs that he gives, like he's like, like we've said, that he gives character to even the most incidental background players. Yep. It'd also be interesting to sort of go back. I'm sure I've got it in my script. I'd have to pull it out of storage, but to see who did the voice of, you know, they, that guy had two or three obnoxious lines of dialogue as a reporter be interesting to see who actually did the voice for for that guy um and uh, i don't remember off the top of my head and even though i watched it yesterday i couldn't quite be sure who it was from among our cast who did that voice but uh it'd be interesting to look it up because it, you know it's a combination of sean's great work but also you know the actors doing something distinctive with even a throwaway character to make you know the character pop a little I love when that happens. Although I do, there's a question I've always pondered, because we saw everybody standing outside the school when Eddie is wheeled out and shouting that he's Venom, and a, a moment later we see Gwen wasn't too far from there. She was part of the crowd, and I'm thinking, what was going on in her head when he shouted that? Uh, you know, I'll leave that to your imagination. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. I really wish we'd gotten to season three. So do we. We wish we would have gotten to season three, four, and five. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. The plan had been five seasons and then um, DVDs for his college years. That had been the original plan that everyone had sort of agreed to before everything changed corporately. Uh, Obviously, that meant in best, no one was guaranteeing us that many seasons, but we all agreed that that was sort of the game plan. Indeed. And I just also, we were talking about the Venom I just I just love the way Eddie's uh, relationship with Peter just culminates here. I mean, I mean, Eddie is so lost, Peter wants him to be okay there, and I mean, we'll never know what happened, but hopefully Eddie would get the help he needs and Ravencroft, I doubt it, but it, well, it, it's just so you sad. You have to go to the 2009 play for that. Pardon? You have to 
go to the 2009 radio play for that. Oh, so now that's canon again. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, I love that radio play, but I may be biased just because I get yelled at by Sally. It's a good moment. It's a great moment. I mean, and, and this episode is chock full of them, and there's a part of me that always wants... I mean, I, Quentin Beck, quote-unquote stood in quite well for that, but I would have liked to have seen cutaways to Tombstone or Doc Ock reacting to this rumors over who Spider-Man really is, but, but the episode is already packed as well, so I understand why that would not have happened. <laughs> uh, these shows were so jam-packed, Greg. Oh my gosh. So well, I did. That was the thing. I counted the number of actors we had in the episode, and of course this counts the people who I think we must have cut but there were 22 acting credits on that episode. That's, that's <laughs> immense. This immense 22 actors in one 22-minute episode. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, that's that's a, just a ton of actors. And, you know, for whatever reason, uh, they just let us get away with that. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I mean, in, I didn't think about it at the time, but in hindsight, kind of amazing that, no one sort of said to us, you know, okay, sure, if it was the season finale, you can put everyone in it, and I guess the season opener, but you can't on a regular basis have 20-plus actors per episode. I don't know where our budget was, but somehow we managed to do it. Did we, did now. we, Greg, can remind me, did we trade having ADR to accomplish that, though? We did, but even with that, like, that's what I do on Young Justice. I trade ADR for more actors up front. And even then, there's no way I could have 20-plus actors in every episode. And it feels like we were kind of doing that. Or at least, yeah, these, these know, editing sessions, Greg Bashansky, these editing sessions were uh, uh, very surgical, you know, because, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd be able to you'd get those initial chunks, initial chunks, and finally you're down to those last, oh, we're five seconds over. We're four seconds over, you know, to get it to time. It was very, very uh, whittling it down to get it to time. So we, we had a lot of material. Yeah. And that originally, that was also part of the plan because originally we were going to make DVD movies. So we wanted it a little longer so that we'd have, in essence, bonus footage if you watch every three episodes or three or four episodes edited together as a movie. But after the first three, I think they sort of uh, reneged on that plan for legal reasons, I think. Yeah, so if you have a copy of Attack of the Lizard, you have a rare DVD. That's I've, the got, one that, I've got it. That, yeah, that's the one that's cut together. You see some gunshots. You see some scenes that you didn't see in the broadcast. So hang on to that one. Oh, I oh I will. I definitely will. I mean, I remember all those um, deleted scenes you showed at the 2009 gathering. I mean, my favorite being, well, not being in this episode, the one with the Hammerhead chauffeur playing pool with the enforcers. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's another, you know, speaking of character designs that sort of inspired doing more with the character, uh, it was the chauffeur design, you know. Ever, yeah. ever, yep. temp, ever tempted to dig through the comics just to find someone to assign that chauffeur to be? <laughs> I feel like we were gonna, but I don't think we got around to it. 
But no, she was fun. The the, I mean, there's so. I mean, I feel like there's so much to talk about this episode. We've also covered a lot of it as well because, the, like I said, the main focus, the star of the episode, I thought was that major sequence, which um, the I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation of his name. So um, the Sahin Hersaz. Yeah, Sahin, whose yeah. name I had never heard before t- before we started recording this. Oh. Unsung, unsung hero, very unsung Un- hero. But he just... unsung hero. We, we, you know, all the board guys, by the way, did an excellent job in the show. You know, some of them specialized in the acting and and some of the setups and stuff like that. Uh, and most of the show was freelance. But we had, I think, we had three or four main regulars, and Sahin was one of them. Adam Benwick was one of them. Uh, Mister Ryu was one of them, and they kind of sort of carried the other shoulders, the the action. We would sometimes have guest board artists like Joaquin DeSantos. He did the Central Park fight with the Sinister Six. So sometimes we'd get like that. But our regulars uh, who regularly did these action sequences, it was like Adam Van Wick and, and Sahin. And, uh, but the, all the board artists did awesome on the show. Yeah, they really did. It is. I mean, I've compared the action choreography on this show to Avatar The Last Airbender more than once, and I'm more than comfortable to continue doing that. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons why it it's kind of memorable is is uh, they lasted longer. I mean, I was talking about this over the weekend with Greg at the SatCon, is I come from a place where uh, when the show was long the action scenes would get cut down to just what needed to be serviced for the story. So, you know, if, if, uh, if a lead hero had to uh, stop the bank robbers, but really, but we're all long, he's going to stop them in two punches, you know? And, but I always wanted these action sequences to be like more like in a James Bond movie or the Indiana Jones movies where you can get some music going on and you can kind of get into it. And, uh, and they, and they build and they kind of build character things too. So it's, so it's not just about punching, but it's about their sense of humor or their personality. Kind of like, you know, Peter with the trash can and Venom following up, mirroring it with the car, you know. Um, so I think the fact that they're just longer helps it become memorable. And this was, I think this was probably the longest one. I, yeah, I definitely think it is. There might be some more later, which we'll definitely get to, but this feels like it was the longest, not in a bad way, but I'm also thinking about action sequences because I just got the DC app. So I've been rewatching old episodes of Batman, the animated series. And I watched Gargoyles, rewatched Gargoyles quite a bit also. And the action sequences on those shows were really good. But when I care them, compare them to the action sequences on spectacular avatar and today, and I feel like with the evolution, I don't know of animation techniques, Action sequences have gotten more sophisticated since even. I, I think it's the it's it, it's it's the character, like what they do, and then the environment, and then you know, everybody powwowing and brainstorming what they can do with the powers. You know, when I came on, I mentioned this before, so I'm just assuming everyone's heard it before. But one of the things I pitched coming on the show as a supervising director was to kind of bring a Hong Kong flair to it. So if you watch those Jackie Chan movies, well. If it goes even further back, he was inspired by Buster Keaton, who used the environment for comedy purposes. But like to bring a Hong Kong flair to it where you're using the environment. And then with the webbing, you know, like the Spider-Man shows previous, the webbing, 
he only used it to swing around or web guys up like in a net. He didn't really use it as cleverly as, as, as we, we've seen in the movies and, and Unspectacular since then. So I wanted to be like he'd web something behind you and yank it and hit you in the back of the head with it. Or he'd yank your feet and pull it out from under you or web two guys and then pull the web together and the heads conk each other. You know, like just kind of have fun with it. Um, so it's not just, you know, punch a guy and he's out, you know. Um, so I think it's the combination of like just having fun with the environment. Spider-Man's powers just lends itself to what I call gags or or uh, just like adding on to it. So it's not all just punching. I mean, he punched, obviously, but from his very first fight with the enforcers, you know, uh, when Ox has him in that bear hug, he doesn't like, you know, elbow him or kick him. He webs his handlebar mustache and yanks it, you know, with the webs. So maybe that's why you, these action sequences have been uh, memorable for so many people is like the length of them. And then just, we're having fun with them. I mean, yeah, obviously, but I'm just saying, like I've said, I mean, and I see this in the young justice, also, the action sequences there are very fast, spectacular. Just, action sequences just feel more kinetic now than they did, say, back in the in the 90s. I mean, I just wonder if there were any technological limitations back then also. No, it's just storyboarding. And, um, I mean, I can't, I, I can't speak for gargoyles, but, uh, but, like, when I was on scene, for instance, and those action sequences, it would, a lot of them would just be cut because we'd be over. Those would be the first things that would get cut. You know, and uh, um, and I wasn't a producer on those shows, so you know it wasn't my call. Um, so you know, there could have been a lot of cool things that you just didn't see because it ended up on the cutting floor. I mean, a part of it is is it still has to be about story. You know, um, like every we didn't touch that great action sequence in this episode, um, but one of the reasons we didn't touch it is it was still service story. It was still about what we were uh, doing. I mean, I, I've, I've been on shows, produced shows where, um, without naming names, um, a board artist or director has just gone off on this tangent with this terrific action sequence, which we entirely cut because it wasn't serving the story anymore. And he he had sort of gone off on, you know, instead of expanding on the action that was in the script and making that rich, there was this sort of thing off to the side that he found interesting, but which was a servicing story. And so an action sequence like that is much more likely to get cut than an action sequence that is is great and is working in service to the story the way this one was or the way Joaquin's was in Central Park, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it, to me, it's still about what is the best way to service the story. And with a character like Spider-Man, a lot of that is about movement. And so what's great about this sequence is how non-stagnant it is as, as Vic said at the very beginning, it wasn't long with a bunch with two guys just trading punches back and forth. It was so vibrant and mobile and showed each of those two characters in such a um, defining way about how they use their powers, about their personalities, 
about their dynamic between each other, their relationships, their uh, feeling toward bystanders. Um, it was that uh, mobility and vibrancy that said so much about these characters that made it impossible to cut. You know, we wouldn't want to cut it. But if it had been off on some tangent, then, you know, uh, it might not have survived. You know what I mean? It, it wouldn't have survived. I mean, even if it's, even if it's humor, if it just goes off taking a right turn, um, it's not going to stay in the show. Right. Yeah, that's true. You're exactly right. That's not just true about action. It's true about humor, about, you know, there's a lot of other elements. Yeah. I mean, this is a great action episode without a doubt, but there's a lot of romance in this episode. Yeah. Um, there's, and, and, there's and just to be clear, not, probably not, the not only... Every- yeah, I was gonna Go say ahead. not every action sequence we designed is it completely 100% intact in the show. We still had to make cuts and trims there too. This is just one that I think we did leave uh, intact. Yeah, but you know I think there's there's stuff with Shashan and and Flash. There's stuff with Gwen and Peter. There's even I think the maybe only surviving Betty and Ned scene. <laughs> Betty and Ned. It's a good example of tangents. We talked about this in Sacramento, too, which is that um, we kept trying to do this subplot of Betty and Ned getting closer and closer, and yet because neither of them, neither of that involved Peter very directly or even, sorry, it was sort of tertiary. It wasn't even secondary. Anytime we were long, the first thing that would get cut would be the Betty and Ned scene. this is one of the few ones because we were also using it as part of the interview framing device that um, that sort of uh, stuck um, and hinted at what else we might have done with them. But uh, but you know, and there's a lot of great humor in this. I mean, flat. I, I mean, hats off to Josh Labar in this episode. Um, he is so funny and so. Strong and just uh, Flash is just so great in this episode um, from top to bottom. You know, his outrage and his hero worship and his bravery and his um, uh, goofiness right down to, you know, him thinking he's going to play Nick, the hero, in uh, <laughs> the Night Scream. I love that he calls yeah. Sinch on Devereaux coach. Yeah. Um, and he's just, Josh just was able to take that part and do so much with it. Um, you know, uh, he, he just was fantastic in it. Really great. I know. I, I loved him in the role, and I also love the, and I use this term as a compliment, the almost Warner Brothers Looney Tunes moment where Shashan is basically calling him an ass. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know that scene was a little bit controversial when it originally aired because it looked a little, some people felt it looked goofy and out of place. I didn't think so. I was thinking of classic Looney Tunes there and how they would get crap past the radar. Yeah, I mean, there's that, and, it, you know, I think the visual was risky on our part, but we, you know, we'd done symbolic stuff, as uh, Vic mentioned earlier, with Ditko sort of things before. So having, giving him the donkey head there um, 
felt like it worked in our show, um, and it, it feels like a good moment there. It was fun. I enjoyed it, and I, I just enjoyed the episode overall. And I've said this before, I've never been the biggest fan of Venom, but I like this version of Venom. This is the only version of Venom I can really say that about. I mean, I, to be fair, I haven't seen Tom Hardy's Venom movie. I have no real interest in it. For all I know, it could, for all I know, it could be just as great, but I haven't seen it, can't say. But I do appreciate that you did not go go into that whole spiel about him protecting innocent people because here he's putting innocent lives at risk no I mean Venom is at least as far as we got with the character in this series over two seasons he's clearly a villain I mean you may be able to understand some of his motivations but you combine Eddie and the symbiote and you don't we're not at a point at least not yet where He's an anti-hero. He's he's a, just a bad guy. And that's and, and that's what I appreciated about this version. I guess I I've I may have said this before. I've never appreciated the attempt to rehabilitate him in the '90s just because the character grew in popularity. You could tell he was not constructed to become an anti-hero or a hero. But that's just my opinion. And any event, we're coming up on about an hour. And Greg, I know you need to go. You need to get going soon. So, do you? Before we say goodbye, do either of you have any parting thoughts in this episode? And do you have any other projects you want to plug or pimp? Uh, the one thing I just want to point out that I don't think we've talked about uh, is just that cool for me that cool scene between uh, George Stacy who uh, initially wasn't that big a fan of Spider-Man and the whole mask thing, and um, and then he starts to get it. You know, this, the difference between Jonah's point of view, which is that if this guy's wearing a mask, he must have something to hide, and where George has come to by the end of this episode, which is this guy's wearing a mask, it's because he probably has something to protect. And obviously that... You know, when it, when it opens, you think it's one last Ned Lee interview. But then you see that George isn't talking to Ned, he's talking to Peter. And Peter's not quite sure what to make of what George has just said. And uh, I just still really, you know, this was written by Andrew Robinson, and I just think he did a great job with that last scene. It, it, um, I mean, he did a great job with the whole episode, but uh, I just think that last scene is, uh, really a great sort of Captain Stacy moment. It is. Um, and otherwise, in terms of plugging stuff, I'll let Vic say his thing. But for me, obviously, the thing that's coming is in uh, uh, 2019 is the third season of Young Justice, available exclusively on DC Universe. Um, there'll be a Young Justice uh, companion comic uh, also on DC Universe. So I hope people subscribe and binge the show when it gets started. There's a lot of great stuff on DC Universe, uh, like Batman the Animated Series and the old Wonder Woman series and uh, and many, many other things um, that I think are worth getting the this, this service for, and I hope people subscribe and binge. And then uh, in uh, a bit later, uh, also early, first half of 2019, uh, my next novel um, 
Ravnica is coming out. It's a set in the multiverse of Magic the Gathering. And um, I hope people pick that up. If you know Magic, I think you'll love this. And if you don't know Magic, um, it's written in such a way that this could be your first exposure to that uh, set of worlds. And um, and I think it, you'll be able to grasp what's going on and 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 fall in love with this stuff the way I have. So I hope people pick up Ravnica when it comes up. I've never played Magic, but I will get this, and thank you for making it accessible to me. Hi. So uh, as far as this episode, it's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, I tend to, and uh, I they're all my favorites. I kind of tend to like the Han Ho animated episodes. Uh, they're slightly my preference because I feel like they catch the the squash and stretch animation a little bit more than other stu- the other studios. Uh, but I definitely love this episode. Um, I just want to say this whole year is like the 10-year anniversary of the Spectacular Spider-Man, so I want to thank you, Greg, and all the fans out there for supporting the show. And uh, and just to let you know, let everyone out there listening, that we, the cast and crew, got together in person back in March, I think it was. And there's a video of it on YouTube if you guys want to catch it. There's some on-camera interviews with Josh Keaton, Sean Galloway, Greg, myself, and some of the other cast members and crew members and you get to see uh, Josh and and uh, Joshua Labar, Josh Keaton, Joshua Labar on camera together. Uh, it's like a little high school mini reunion for the Spectacular Spider-Man crew. Uh, as far as what I have coming up right now, uh, the second season of Stretch Armstrong, the Flex Fighters has dropped on Netflix. So first season, second season and our interactive uh, breakout uh, episode is all there for you guys to view. And uh, I'm currently working on a new show for Disney Junior, and it'll be out sometime next year. Cool. Called Tots. Nice. Well, looking forward to it all. And once again, I want to thank both of you for coming on the show. This episode is spectacular. They're all spectacular, but this episode <laughs> is especially spectacular. And and as, and I want to thank all of our listeners for listening and tune in next time. Hopefully we'll be back on a, on a regular schedule where a gang war begins. Yeah. Show you.